The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. Now, when I talk with clients, the three hottest topics I hear every time is, number one, influencing without authority, number two, building trust, and number three, managing time. My guest today, Nan Russell, as it turns out, is an expert in all three. So that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to take those three topics and do them one per segment. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Nan. Nan decided a decade ago to leave a very successful 20-year corporate career in a number of executive roles and work and write in the Rocky Mountains. And now she lives in Colorado and has become a prolific writer. She's the author of four books, including Trust, Inc. and The Titleless Leader. And she's currently working on her fifth book, It's Not About Time. She has a column, as if that's not enough, working, winning at work, which appears in numerous publications, and she's a blogger for Psychology Today on the topic of trust. So, Nan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about this, and packing all three of those together in one segment is really quite amazing. So let's start with this whole notion of influence, particularly influence without authority. Now, another way of saying that is about getting things done when you're not in charge, or when you can't tell people what to do and have them do it, which in my view is most of the time. Um, I often say, in fact, that the more formal authority you have, the higher you rise in an organization, the less you can use it, at least not if you want people following you. So, Nan, fundamental question, how do you get things done? Well, you know, I, th- I think what you just said is a very good place to start because some people are still locked in that old thinking, that title get you what you want, and we all know that the world has changed, and it's really about the right behaviors that cause natural followership, and that's the first place to start, because oftentimes when we want to get results, we start thinking about the behaviors of other people we want to get results from, we think about can we trust them, are they reliable, how are we going to get what we need from them, and where we need to start is with ourselves, Um, and we should be reversing the question about are we worthy of someone else's trust? And when I refer to trust here, I'm talking about competence, performance trust, because nobody wants to work with or for or around people who can't do what they say they can do or deliver what they need to deliver. So competence is key to get natural followership, and that's the first place to start. 
Okay, so I do agree with you this. I mean, in fact, just a, we spend a lot of time in coaching people when they say, how do I get other people to do what I want them to do? So to get the behaviors I want from other people. And this notion that it's actually my behavior that I need to change in order to get followership. I like that idea. So what do you count are the behaviors we need to be emphasizing in order to create followership? Well, the first one really does have to do with um, your own performance, your own competence. And we know that that's a kind of a prerequisite that while trustworthiness is the number one characteristic that people want in the people they work with and around, um, they often define that element as, okay, somebody is, is really good at what they do. But the behaviors are much more... Um, subtle than that in the sense that there are often things from, that come from things like intention and beliefs um, in the way in which it manifests um, in the real world. So let me give you an example. Um, oftentimes we're thinking about how to make things easier for us. And one of the behaviors that gets better results is to, to reverse that and figure out how to make it easier for someone else to give you what you need or to provide for you the kinds of um, information that you need. And so those kinds of changes about the way you think about um, the relationship and you build a relationship that is based on mutual benefits, um, that brings you oftentimes uh, early results uh, and very quickly. So I get the sense that if I go back to, let me take the example of I'm leading a project group a lot of people are in that role or a task force. I don't really have anybody who's formally reporting to me. I need to persuade my peers who are swamped with a thousand and one things to do any rate to contribute to this project and process. Okay, I certainly have some formal authority from whoever put the project together. I could go to that and use it, but people don't like that very much. So you're saying in order to get my peers to do what needs to be done, I need to be asking, what do I do for them? As in, how do I make it easier for them to contribute to be a part of? Is that right? Uh, yes, but it goes back even a couple steps before okay. that. We should be asking the question all along, how can I contribute to other people's projects? How can I help them succeed? How can I help them thrive? Because what we know about not only sort of human nature, but also the reciprocity of leadership and followership is that if I help you do your best work, you're going to help me do my best work. And so we should be thinking about that you know, all the time, not when we have a project on the table. Okay. All right. So I worked with one person in a company who was brought into the team because he was really good at structuring and organizing things and really good at holding people accountable. And the team wanted him to come and do that role for the team to keep them organized and structured and on task and moving forward. There's no one reporting to this particular individual. It's now with just the peer set and, of course, has good access to the boss and all, that, all those wonderful kind of things. And struggled for a while because while the team wanted it, they didn't necessarily like it. So in your notion, it would be turning it around for that person to say, how am I helping you 
as a group succeed and thrive? And how do I make it easier for you to do your job? Right. And how would you like me to communicate to you? And how, would, uh-huh. how often would you like that to happen? And how can I best get integrated into the kinds of work that, that you would like me to do? Like, what does that look like? How will I know if I'm successful? If I ask those kinds of questions, if I'm getting integrated into a group or, or someone wants me to, to do work for them or vice versa, then there's that partnership, but they help me see or they help that person see what it looks like to operate with them. Because, unfortunately, we all make assumptions that other people like the same kinds of things that we like or that we're using our words in the same way and mean the same thing. Okay. All right. And that is indeed part of what went wrong on this team. There was a sense that, um, yes, we all committed to that deadline two weeks from Friday, but there are seven things that have happened since then, and we'd like you to kind of anticipate that we're not really going to be able to meet that deadline and adjust. Adjust the boss's expectations, adjust your expectations, you set a new deadline, kind of, again, integrate into the work so that it feels like you're a partner not a police person. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So what other things are going to make a difference when I'm trying to create followership? Well, a lot of times we get um, into a kind of a, a, a role where we want to dictate how. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and what will really help is if the, the person who makes something – uh, I call it painting word pictures, but basically helps people see what it looks like, um, makes it seeable, doable, purposeful on the other side. And we don't so much worry about the how. Um, oftentimes it, it isn't critical in a lot of organizations about how exactly, whether it's collaborative or individual work or whether people you know, work from home or they work at the office. Those, those kinds of hows don't always matter as much, but certainly the big what does. And so we have an obligation to really help make that clear to people um, in a way that everyone can picture it and see it um, because then it's much easier to do. All right. I met a woman this week who's an entrepreneur, <laughs> and she running um, a service industry. And she had in her head this vision of what the experience would be for a customer coming into her business. And she got really, really frustrated that her staff was not doing the things that need to be done to create that experience. And she finally realized that it wasn't transparent to her staff. So every year she writes a vision statement, which is not, you know, the classic corporate vision statement. It's a document, like a word, like a story about what she imagines customers will experience when they come to her um, service. And she shares that with everybody in the staff in multiple locations so that they understand what it is she has in her head. Is that the kind of thing you're thinking about? That's exactly the kind of thing. But I think on a day-to-day basis, um, when it's a big, important thing like that, like how to deal with customers or it has a big um, implication in terms of the, the business that we do, we may do a better job at that than the day-to-day. I need something. Um, I, I want a, a rush job on that. Or, I, you know, I want, I want a, a quality um, piece here to be written. 
we use words, we use round words, and we think that people know what that looks like. So if we can translate what you just said into the everyday, like normal way we speak with telling little stories or explaining what that looks like, um, that really helps. I mean, I had that problem with my son in high school when I would say to him, you need to study more. He was having some challenges with his grades. And I realized that, you know, he had no idea what study looked like. And so when we talked about what does it really look like to study, um, it dramatically changed the results that he got. Okay, so I can imagine, let me take a really simple example. I can imagine that I'm working with people and I'm frustrated that they don't do error checking. But maybe Mm -hmm. they don't have a sense of what my notion of error checking looks like, um, why it matters, what's important about it. So we're back to purpose. Okay, so the day-to-day small things and making sure they understand what those words mean, not just the big ones. Okay? Right. Yes. All right. So far, so far we have that you have to be good at what you're doing so that there's competence. We have that you can't dictate for people. You need to paint word pictures so people understand what your vision is, that it feels doable and seeable and purposeful. Day-to-day, not just big story. What else matters? You need to adjust to somebody else's style. Um, this is to make it easier for them. You know, if you happen to be a person who loves to have everything come on in a text message, but the person that you need something from really likes to get an email, um, you need to adapt to their style. And for the most part, that's a really simple thing to do, particularly if you ask them, but even if you just observe what it is and how people communicate. Um, so the process itself gets smooth when we are more adapted to someone else's. Style. And, and even, you know, even if we're the official boss, it's still helpful to do it that way. Okay. I, I am a big believer in this notion of adapting to style because relationships just become smoother if I put you in your comfort zone. If I'm dealing with what you need in the moment and I'm doing it in a way that works for you, that just is, life is just easier for everybody. So I'm with, totally with you on that one. Now, I often get people say to me, though, yes, but Wanda, why should I have to change myself? I think I should be authentic. What's your response to that one? Well, my response is if you're trying to get results from somebody else, um, it's not inauthentic to have and build and use relationship skills to do that. Um, And if it is for you, then that, that might be an area for some self-reflection about what it is that, um, you know, how you define authenticity. Because part of relationships and relationships at work um, is adapting your style to, to try to meet um, the goals that, that you need. If, if, on the other hand, you know, you have um, complete power and authority um, and you're not looking for engagement or innovation or creativity from other people, then, you know, maybe you don't need to do that. But I think it's pretty naive in today's world to think that um, everybody should mold us. <laughs> I don't. I, I always say to people, somebody always says, well, who should adjust, me or the other person? And my quick answer to that one is, who's ever asking me the question? Meaning... Either one of you, both of you, and the more the merrier, the easier. Now, do you have a sort of bucket list that you go through in terms of a style check that you would say to people, um, you know, here are the five or six things you should think about in terms of style differences? 
the I, I usually do the the opposite. I use, I, I oftentimes do the don'ts. Okay. Um, and and the biggest don't that I have for people is this whole stereotypic thinking about generations or positions or assumptions about wants and needs and uh, the way people see their work. And so while we all know that style differences come from, you know, a lot of different things, everything from personality to the kind of intentions we have or the information or our background, the, the kinds of things that are triggers oftentimes in a work relationship that I found have to do with when we assume that we may know and we, and we put labels, uh, particularly generational labels or position labels on people. All right. I, I do happen to agree with you because it's easy to label somebody as lazy. Right. Um, at, when it may be a host of other reasons. And so those adjectives, I often say those adjectives get you in trouble. Okay, Nan, so anything else that we can do that makes a difference in terms of creating followership and having influence, getting things done when you're not in charge? I think the, um, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do, but one of the big ones has to do with um, the, there is this issue associated with, um, I refer to it as uh, self-alignment, um, you know, the, the, the concept of, you know, you need to be the message, not the messenger. And many of us get stuck in the messenger role. Um, and so in order to be the, the message and to bring the best of who we are to our own work so that other people will do the same, um, we have to think about the impact and have more self-awareness than oftentimes we do. So there's a lot of inner skills that are required um, to, to be able to manifest the kind of behaviors that people naturally respond to and follow. Okay, so give me one example of one inner skill. Um, I would say, um, well, there's a lot. Let me, let me start with, um, aside from the, the self-alignment that I talked to, let, let's talk about an inner skill of, um, it's hard to choose, but I will choose one, um, expecting the best. So this is a belief structure mm-hmm. that we often get what we believe we're going to get. And so if we, don't ex- if we don't have sort of what I call the, the 95% rule, which is 95% of people most of the time are trying to do the best that they can and do a good job, if we don't have some kind of belief structure around things like that, then we will see what we naturally see, which is that the negative things for all of us are stickier. We know that. We know we remember those things. We know we can, you know, quote when somebody let us down. And we have to work hard at refocusing and looking at what's going well or what someone's strengths are in order to kind of come back to a place of how we approach that person or how our behavior comes across. Okay. All right. So I get the sense here. So let me just come back to if I can do a quick summary here and then we're going to take a break. So the notion about getting things done when you're not in charge, so influence without authority, is first admit the fact that you can't tell people what to do. You cannot dictate, not if you want engagement and commitment and all those wonderful things. And the elements that we've talked about that are critical here is, number one, being competent at your own job, 
Number two is doing everything you can to make it easier for somebody else. So there's a mutual benefit that you're contributing to their success rather than just requesting from them. And that's questions like, how do you, how can I communicate to you? How can I integrate with your work and so forth? Number three is paint a word picture of some form so that people have a sense of what we're trying to achieve not just in the big story, but in the day-to-day actions. Number four is adjusting your style, the simple things, and stay out of the labeling and the stereotypic kind of words. And then the fifth one is this inner work piece that makes sure we're looking at our belief structures and not letting those get in our way. Wow, that's a lot to think about. Okay, we're going to take a break. With me today is Nan Russell. The book that we've been talking about is called The Titleless Leader. Um, You can find more about Nan at her website, www.nanrussell.com. When we return, we're going to talk about trust, because as you can tell, trust is an element of exactly how you get things done. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Nan Russell. 
Nan left a successful 20-year corporate career to live and write in the Rocky Mountains, and she's become since then a prolific writer. Trust, Inc. and The Titleist Leader are two of the big books, and It's Not About Time is the third one. Now, we've just been talking about The Titleist Leader and the notion of how do you get things done when you're not in charge or when you're not telling people what to do. And we've gone through a number of things that make a difference. One of those, we said at the very, very beginning, is you have to be good at what you're doing. That if you're not competent, then you're not going to create followership. And equally, Nan says that trust comes from competence. That if you're not competent to do your job, trust is going to be a hard thing. Now, Nan also says that organizations are filled with tired, disillusioned, frustrated, cynical, and skeptical people who don't follow unless they trust. So I want to put a kind of spin on this one, Nan, for a minute. I have come to believe that we talk about engagement and inclusivity and diversity when I actually really think we should be talking about trust, because I don't think either of those work if trust isn't part of the equation. I know that when people trust their leader or manager, that they feel engaged and that their careers flourish, but break that trust and all of it goes out the door. So why do you think trust is so important? Well, first, I would like to say I totally agree with what you just said, um, and you cannot have engagement without trust. And what we know about the importance of trust is a number of things, but the first is that we live in this era of distrust. Um, in fact, I don't know if you know, but more people today, right now, trust infomercials and use car salesmen than organizational leaders. And we have a lot of reasons for that um, in terms of the, the way in which the, the social contract was broken during the Great Recession or how people's work and information gathering has changed or the shift in influencers and this whole concept of, of voices rising when people find people like voices. There's a lot of reasons why trust is, is um not in a good place right now, but the importance of it is what you were saying. It has to do with engagement and innovation. It has to do with an indication of really getting results because we live in an era where most of the time um, we're looking for the kinds of things that come voluntarily from people's heads, and you can't crowbar those ideas that we need, and you can't get the discretionary effort um, from somebody unless they're willing to give it to you. And so the currency of trust, uh, the way it operates in a culture and between people and within organizations is key to getting the kinds of results that all of us need to get. Okay. I'm going to add a component. I totally agree with you on this one, that if I don't trust you as a manager, why on earth, or as an organization for that matter, why would I give you my extra time and effort? You're just asking me now to pull back and, you know, do the job, but not go above and beyond. And it's the above and beyond and the breakthrough stuff that we need. I had focused on this whole notion about trust a few years ago when I was working with helping women advance in the corporate environment and stick and thrive. And everywhere I found a senior successful female there was a superior above her whom she fundamentally trusted. And when she would go to that superior and say, what do I do? And the superior would give her advice. And he, he or she would say, trust me. And she does. And great things happen as a result. But break that trust and, man, her career just sort of kind of goes through the tank. So 
I think it is really, really important. So now let's go back to talk about what we mean. We use the word trust, and I, you know, every CEO that I've ever interacted with talks about the importance of trust in the organization, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think we often know what we mean when we say that. And more importantly, how do I know if I have trust or not? So what's your answer? Well, you, you easily know if you have trust or not <laughs> because that has to do with the way in which you can feel trust when you go into a work group or an organization. These are the people who are having fun. They're getting a lot done. Uh, the ideas are, are there. Uh, people uh, are open in terms of the, the communication and the style. Um, it, it's re- a real clear indication um, when there's trust happening. But the the bigger issue is the one that you mentioned earlier, and that is the fact that we throw that word around to mean all sorts of things. And there are all different kinds of trust. Um, so that complicates things. But we also use it to say, hey, I trust my car, but you really just mean it's dependable. Um, the, the kind of trust that you need at work um, is something I refer to as authentic trust. It's also referred to as relationship trust. And it tends to be something you make. It's, it's, if, you, if you create trust, you use trust as a verb. It's something you do. It's something you make. It's not something you have. Um, and while um, it's a way of operating in terms of that approach, and it's about committing to and giving um, constant, putting confidence in someone else, um, and doing that with awareness and um, willingness to take risks about that, um, kind of with your eyes open. And that kind of relationship trust is what fuels most uh, teams. I love this notion. I just have to repeat it because I think it's a really important distinction. It's not whether I have it. It's whether I make it. It's what I do to create it. Is that I hear that correctly? Yeah. Okay. All right. And you also said is a way of operating and that what I do in, I think what you're saying is that I give trust to other people as in I give it away. Is that what you mean? Yes. And, 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 you know, one of, one of the things that is probably the most frequent error that organizations make um, or leaders make is that you think that, that trust has to be earned, but, but actually it, trust has to be given. It has to be sparked. And the person who wants the trust needs to spark it. So that it doesn't mean it's a light switch. It doesn't mean you're like, I trust you totally or I don't trust. It, it's a little spark. I give a little bit of trust. I get accountability on the other side. I build that as I go. And, but, but unfortunately, if you are the person who wants to operate with trust, you need to be the person who's out there giving it. Okay. I often say to people, they'll say to me, how do I get my manager to trust me? And I say, you have to start with trusting them. If you don't, you're not going to get very far. Okay. So I like this notion that trust is not something that you expect people to earn. It's something that you have to give as in a spark, a little bit of it, not everything. And you get accountability and you see how it goes from there. So is that the secret to building trust or are there other things we need to do as well? Well, there's a lot of things that go into that, but that's the way to start it. Um, and the, the other piece to that, before answering the rest of that question, the other piece to that is it's going to be different with everybody. And so in contrast to, to some people who think, like, 
there, there's something wrong about having different levels of trust with different people in your on your team. It, 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 it's a very different kind of thing. It's like I, I don't trust. I, I trust my, my mechanic very strongly to work on my car, but I'm not going to trust him to, to do a root canal. So, so we have different reasons that we trust people and different levels of that based on um, a number of hosts of things. But it, it's the beginning. So the first step is to give it. The, the, there's four other kinds of things that need to go into that kind okay. of parameter oh. to make it work. Okay, One of them so- has to do with um, something I call elevated communication. Okay. And elevated communication is the kind of communication that comes from sort of uh, best of self-characteristics, meaning it has integrity, it has positive intention, um, there's an authenticity about it. People talk about transparency, which is uh, a big misnomer these days, but I would throw it in as something which is called thoughtful transparency. Um, so elevated communication is when you are really trying to create for someone else the ability to have good judgment and have information where they know that they can also build trust based on the information that they have. So I come back to it's how I'm enabling somebody else to do their best. So because you said it's I use my communication, every component and aspect of my communication to ensure that people have the information they need to make good judgment. Yes. Okay, so that's element number one. What's the second one? Um, the, the next one has to do with um, demonstrate behavioral integrity. And people get this very confused. We confuse integrity with behavioral integrity. Yep. And in the workplace, for relationship trust and what you need, the only way, people don't know what's in your heart. They don't know your true character. They don't know your morals. They know what you say and what you do. And what you say and what you do, that alignment is behavioral integrity. And so that's how people are judged about whether or not um, the elements of trust associated with that make sense to people. And so that alignment is key, and behavioral integrity is the measurement that most of us use. And, and where people get kind of tripped up on it is like, wow, I'm a really good person. You know, I have, I have integrity, I have morals, I have values. But people can't see that unless you, and they don't necessarily need to see that part. It's, it's what you say and what you do. And we don't always... Um, keep that in the forefront of how we're measured. Okay, so, uh, I mean, even with the best of intent, I certainly see leaders, really good leaders with good hearts, saying at one moment in time we're going to do this, and then that becomes an impossible thing to do, and then they shift course. But what you're saying is that becomes an indicator for other people watching that there's a lack of behavioral integrity because you said you were going to do it, and you haven't come back and explained why, and now you're not doing it. Right, and okay. it's what you just said. If you came back and explained why, then that's fine. Um, but it's it, it, it's being clear about those things. Okay, okay. So uh, do what you say, say what you're going to do. All right, so that's the second one. What's the third element? has to do with showing up authentically. Now, I, I really hate this word. I, you know, everybody uses it to, to mean different things, but it's an important one in the context of trust. 
And it probably is, people, it's not being authentic like you alone on a, on a desert island where people think, oh, you know, it's about kind of what we talked about in the last segment. The, the, the whole concept is, yeah, but why should I change because I'm, I'm not being authentic? Well, this kind of authenticity is, is you with self-awareness about how your behavior impacts other people. It's you in the world realizing that everybody has their own agenda, their own goals, their own desires, their own needs. And so how do you show up and do that? And there's ways that you can do that that demonstrate and build trust, and, and they have to do with n- not the standard of, of, of being authentic, but a continuum. Like sometimes we're more authentic than others. So, so if you're testifying in court, you're not going to feel as authentic as you might at a friend's wedding. Um, we have parameters, we have environments, and we have good days and we have bad days. And, and, but the, the challenge here is to be more aware of um, being self-like versus saint-like and honest about, hey, you know, we make mistakes, we have bad days, um, and it's that kind of showing up that we're talking about. Okay, so this is close to what I talk about in terms of vulnerability, something we've talked about this on show on a number of times. <laughs> Excuse me. That notion that, I'm aware of my weaknesses, my limitations, my mistakes. I can admit them. I can talk about them. But I don't have to wear it on my sleeve and make a drama out of it. <laughs> is that what you mean by showing up authentically? Yes. And that uh, vulnerability is a big part of that. And, and, you know, the same kind of thing that you were just saying. You know, sometimes we need to tell vulnerable stories uh, to people that have the right to hear them about us. But, um, and... It is that it is that sense of um, admitting who we are and and not kind of playing that role, um, okay. and and doing it in a way that is purposefully, intentionally real, and and not manipulative. Okay, so purposely, intentionally real. Boy, that's an interesting one. Okay, so the fourth one. Uh, build genuine relationships. Now, he, here's the thing about most, re- a lot of relationships do not need to be genuine. So I want to frame this word a little bit. Um, you know, we can be very cordial and have very great relationships to people when, you know, we walk in and we greet them and we work with them. A, a genuine relationship is a relationship that oftentimes is with someone we work with for a longer period of time or has more importance in uh, the workspace for us. And it is founded on a mutual beneficial purpose. So I want the best for you, not just the best for me. And I am going to make decisions on the basis of the fact that it's not one single outcome that matters more here, but the relationship matters more here. And so how I build trust around that is something that people leads to people's credibility and the ability for people to take risks on the other side and kind of grow together. And when you have a genuine relationship, then, you know, not everything comes out perfectly, um, but people understand that the relationship matters more than any single outcome. 
I heard a senior leader today give his definition of great leadership where he said it's about doing things that get people to do their very best every day around a common purpose with while at the same time making sure that that individual meets their own needs and agendas. And I think that's a pretty good description of what you're talking about here by building genuine relationships. It's mutual benefit. It's not just my agenda. It's what you need as well. And it can be messy. Right. (laughs) Okay. As all human relationships, are going to be messy. Okay. We're going to take a break. With me today is Nan Russell. The book, in case you're interested, is Trust, Inc. Nan also has a column called Winning at Work, and she has a blog on Psychology Today on Trust. Her website is www.nanrussell.com. And we'll be right back. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to The Business Edge with Marsha Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, 
Call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Nan Russell. Nan is a prolific writer, and we have just been talking about two of her books. The first one, The Titleless Leader, was about how to get things done when you're not in charge. And we've gotten a number of pointers about what makes a difference in influencing people to do what you'd like them to do. And then we were just talking about trust. The book is Trust, Inc., Um, And Nan was just saying that there are several things that you need to do in order to build trust. The first one is about giving it away, creating that spark, giving it to someone else, building accountability and watching it grow. And then we talked about four elements, elevated communication, behavioral integrity, showing up authentically, and building genuine relationships. Each of those a mouthful with an awful lot of explanation underneath them. So great insights, I think, from that one. And now I want to turn to this last one and Nan, your upcoming book. And the title is It's Not About Time. So I'm presuming in some way that getting things done and trust and time actually kind of integrate together. Do they? They do. <laughs> Um, and one of the ways that they do has to do with something that we didn't really talk a lot about, um, and that is a subset of trust, a, a kind of trust that is pretty important in all the other two segments that we talked about, and that is self-trust. And what we know about trust in general and how it relates to um, this other challenge that we have about all these things coming at us and how what we're doing with our time is the fact that our ability to, to count on ourselves when we need to do that, to be there for ourselves when it matters, becomes for all of us, whether we are trying to get results and influence people, whether we're trying to build our own trusting, our own little local group of trust, or whether we're trying to get the kind of life and work results that we want and have a thriving life, that is key. So self-trust becomes kind of the continuum that goes through all three. Ah, so if I am the kind of person that is constantly doubting myself, then I'm going to have a harder time finding the mutual benefit in the relationship in order to influence people, I'm presuming. And I'm going to equally have a hard time giving trust away because I doubt my own sense of trust, and then I'm going to be doubling up on how I do things, double-checking, et cetera. Is that the intent here? Yes, and and we often know that people's inability to, research continues to tell us that people's inability to trust others often stems from their inability to trust themselves. And so when there are significant trust problems, uh, oftentimes people work with individuals about this element of self-trust. And what we know about the importance of it is because the nature of work has changed and then the nature of the way in which we get our work, um, this new skill that's required, which is kind of the linchpin for uh, what we do with our time, um, is becoming more and more critical for people if they are going to be successful in the next decade. Okay. All right. Very interesting idea. Now, you also say it's not about time management. It's about self-management or about choice. Explain what you mean by that. So what we know is that that 
that we will never have enough time. And so no matter how good we are at managing it, there, it's not going to solve the problems that we have. People feel busy, busy, busy. They feel that there's a blur between work and life, and they define those two things separately. They're wearing their busyness as a, a sign of importance. These are all symptoms of, of something else. And while, while time management worked well in the last century, uh, self-management is really the essential skill for this century because... We can never stop all the the rabbit holes that exist of interesting things to explore or do with all the technology that we have, and we can't necessarily put boundaries on things that affect us unless we learn how to be able to, to manage ourselves, to be able to make the choices that we need to make around the things that matter to us. And so those two things in alignment help us create... Uh, the kind of life we want, and it is about choice, and the first choice that someone has to make has to do with, are we going to be a passenger or a driver in this life of ours? A passenger or a driver in our life. Well, that's interesting. Explain what you mean by that one. Well, oftentimes we end up responding to things that come our way, because we haven't really thought through what what matters to us? What, how, how do we want to use this, this currency of our life? What, what kinds of influence do we want to have? Or, or what matters in, in the way that we kind of show up um, and, and do our work? And there's no judgment about that. We all get, you know, to do what we want with our time. But we end up sometimes being a passenger in someone else's life doing what comes our way. And what people who self-manage do is they look at it as saying, I really want to set the course. I want to know that how I invest my time pays off for me in the things that I think are important for me and for my contribution to the world. And so it's a different way of thinking. It requires different skills, um, and it's really people who start to evolve towards self-management are very good at time management, but they're realizing that that's not enough. Okay. So I'm imagining that's the course, that's the way in which people learn to say no. I know what's important to me. I know where I want to invest my time. I know how much time this is worth to me, and that makes it relatively easy for me to choose. Is that, the fair, is that a fair summary? Well, it's partly about that. It, it, it's also partly about uh, it's starting to it, – it's helping people – I guess in the first layer of things, is stopping to buy into certain myths. And, okay. and so one of the myths that's out there has to do with, if I just worked harder or smarter, I could get it all done. And what we know is that there, there's, that's not possible. It, it, it's not possible anymore. And that the... It's not just about saying no, it's about knowing what to say yes to. And so if we're just saying no, then we aren't necessarily creating for ourselves the things that we would like. Um, the, the second myth that it gets in people's way a lot has to do with this need for work-life balance and seeing work and life as separate um, versus the, the blur that it is and believing that if, if they only had balance and someone else would create it for them, it would be okay. People who self-manage understand that, the, that 
you know, your definition of balance and my definition of balance and what it is when you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 is going to be really different. And I need to create that for myself in whatever way that works for me. And so people don't buy into that myth. They buy into the I'm in charge. It's a do-it-yourself project. <laughs> and I'm in charge of my life. And um, easier said than done, certainly. But yes, that's right. <laughs> And the, the other myth that's really a powerful myth that people are buying into right now is that technology is good and it enhances life. Um, it can, but it doesn't always, and it's not inherently that way. Because we can either let the technology manage us or we can create it as a wonderful tool that will help us get the things that we want. And so there's sort of a shift in thinking about how we have all these possibilities out there and need to get off the trending uh, elements to see what really affects us and what matters to us. So now, do you have like one small piece of advice for somebody who's trying to do this sort of self-reflection to say, what is it that really matters to me? Is there a simple um, guide you can give in one minute? <laughs> um, I think that the, the element that I would say is to think of wants in a big way with a capital W. So when we talk about how to invest time in something that you want, um, it, it's really a reflection about, you know, Life is about, for many people who self-manage, about contribution. And what is it that you want to contribute? What, what is it that matters? And who matters to you? And is your time aligned with that? And if it's not, then make some adjustments. Again, not a light switch, but some adjustments so that it is. Okay. All right. I love that one. Um, there's quite a lot in this one, Nan. It's a sort of hard, I mean, there's a, there's a deep analysis here that says it is really about first trusting myself and managing myself. And that means I have to understand what it is that I want. And I love this thing you say with a capital W in a really big way. And that means I have to spend some time thinking about that, maybe some guidance, maybe somebody else reflect on. And then I have to look at how I actually spend my time and match that against what it is I really want. And I give you a simple example in my life. I often talk with a lot of people who want to get a promotion. They know to get a promotion, they need to do some self-promotion and some networking and some stakeholder management. And they'll say to me, I don't have time, but your phrase is, what do I really want and am I investing time in it to get it? I really like that idea. Um, and I love the notion that there are three myths that we all buy into and it is time to question those myths because they take us away from self-management. So with me today, Nan Russell. Nan is a prolific writer. There are many books, but the three that I'll point you to are Trust, Inc., The Titleless Leader, and her forthcoming book, It's Not About Time. If you'd like to know more about Nan, you can find out about her on her website, www.nanrussell.com. Nan, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I feel like we could talk for another four hours on each of these. I will say, um, I think the idea of self-management is the, the most interesting idea for me of the entire radio show. 
And to our listeners, I'll say join us next week. We're talking with Bob TD about how to ask a questions in a way that get you more effective leadership. So join us then. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.